Welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. I'm super excited to talk with my guest today. You know, I talk with a lot of physicians, but I'm really excited when I get to talk to one of our allied friends. So Katie Harris is a nursepreneur, mentor, who has empowered thousands of nurses and business to help them monetize their knowledge and their skills while inspiring to change the way healthcare is perceived and delivered. She strives to undo the perception that nursing care is limited just to the hospital setting. Through her intensive nurse business coaching, Katie shows nurses around the world how their hard-earned knowledge and skills can transcend the hospital into very profitable and sustainable businesses. So with that being said, Katie and I are going to talk all about nurse burnout, the state of mind pushing frontline workers into their mental, physical, and emotional breaking points, and all things around that. So join me in this conversation. Katie, it's so great to have you here on the podcast with me today. Thanks so much for having me. For the people who are listening out in podcasting land, tell them a little bit about yourself and the special magic you're putting out into the world. (laughs) All right. So I have been a nurse for about 20 to 30 years, somewhere in that realm. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I worked in neurocritical care for most of my career and I loved it. It was one of those, I'm the type of person that just wants to learn, 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 learn. And uh, neurosurgery really gave me that, uh, that aspect of it because it was such a huge field to go into. There was so much to learn. And that's what I did for, you know, years and years as a nurse uh, learning, you know, the floor and then ICU. And then as a nurse practitioner, uh, I did office, outpatient, ICU, ED, OR, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was really intense and it was a lot of fun, but you know, after, uh, and it felt like going through residency, I know it's, I don't want to compare to residency because I saw what my residents went through, but you know, it, I had those years and years of experience and growing up with the residents. Uh, and then I saw my residents, you know, they graduate and they go on and they become directors and they become this and they become that. And, you know, I was kind of repeating the cycle going through and, you know, after the like third cycle of, of going through with the residents, it starts to get kind of old <laughs> and it felt like I wasn't really going anywhere. And I started thinking like, what else can I do? And I, I had this somewhat myopic view of I could only work in the hospital type of thing. And uh, around that time where I was getting really just kind of like, what else can I do type of thing? I had this opportunity just drop in my lap and it was uh, Walmart. Walmart actually called me and asked if I knew any nurse practitioners who would want to work for them in their clinics down South. And I was like, my God, take me, <laughs> you know, just please take me away from this place. It sounds amazing. I didn't even know what the job was. They, they said talent acquisition. I didn't know what it was. I had to go home and, and Google it and figure out what talent acquisition meant in terms of like what my job would be. And even, you know, a couple months into the job, I still didn't know what I was supposed to be doing, but uh, it was, it was great. It was a lot of fun and I learned a ton and it, it turned out that my job was to go out and meet other nurses and network with big groups like American Association of Nurse Practitioners or the American Nurses Association, International Council of Nurses. And I met so many nurses that were doing amazing things. And I kept thinking like, 
this is what I should be, you know, this is exciting. This is the next level. This is what I want to be doing. Long story short, Walmart fired most of us because they were top heavy, management heavy. So I was in it for a few years and then uh, came back to the hospital system. And I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I got to do something else. So that's when I started really, you know, just kind of diving into what these other nurses were doing. I'm like, how can I do this for myself? I love it. I love to hear people's journeys and their stories. I'm going to take like a right-hand turn right now, but we'll come back to this. I see a lot of young nurses who I perceive are either starting to burn out or getting crispy with burnout very early in their careers and then jumping into the nurse practitioner pipeline relatively quickly without a lot of patient care. It sounds like you come from my generation. (laughs) Where it was typically more seasoned nurses that were then going to MP school and getting those other advanced degrees. Is that something that you perceive as you're working with nurses and doing what you're doing with coaching? Or is that just my limited view? No. And, you know, I mean, to what you're saying, like when I was an RN, and this is back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I didn't. I mean, the nurse practitioner role wasn't really developed. I mean, the only thing you could really go back to NP school for was like a master's in education. And that was not what I wanted to do at all. And I didn't, I didn't want to go into corporate hospital, you know, administration or anything like that. And then I started seeing NPs pop up and it became curious to me. And I wanted to uh, do something more than work at bedside because I also saw you know, the 50 year old night shift nurses who hated life. And I'm like, that is not going to be me. I'm going to keep going. Uh, And I think part of that problem is, is just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And and, I mean, some people like familiarity, and I, I don't, you know, I need to keep growing. But in terms of other nurses going to it earlier and earlier, you know, there's something inherently problematic with that RN role in general, because it's it they've I'm not sure how to, to how to say it politically yeah. correct. <laughs> <laughs> We're not PC here, so but you can you can find your words however you'd like. Yeah, I mean that that it lacks autonomy. It lacks uh, it lacks purpose in a lot of ways. Like, and it's one of those things where we're just kind of given more and more and more things and nothing is ever kind of taken away. So even if you look at EMR, for example, you know, it's like they just keep piling on check boxes for us to check off. And all of a sudden it gets to a point and I've done uh, legal reviews and it's like, you know, the whole checkbox is like, check, 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 check. But it's because you have a hundred check boxes, you know, to, to go through. And it's also, you know, yes, 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 yes. And then you're like, well, you know, this person is comatose and you're saying he's awake alert and oriented in this these check boxes right but it gets to a point where you just do things because you have to get them done and when you don't have a purpose in your career it really becomes kind of just mind numbing <laughs> i love that explanation because i work as a team shared practice i'm in an fqhc family medicine and addiction medicine and have two nurse practitioners that i team with and, and they've even brought to me sometimes like, well, should I go to medical school? You know, now that they're nurse practitioners as well. And so I see that like that constant. And and what I try to help them tease out is, is this because I'm feeling insecure and I need more foundational knowledge? Or is this because like, that's what I really want to do? 
Because I think, I mean, even as physicians, we do that. Like, oh, maybe I need to go do a fellowship or maybe I need to go get an MBA. And and what I remind people is there's no amount of degrees on the wall that's ever going to make you feel like I've made it type of thing. But I love how you explain the RN thing with the lack of autonomy and just almost becoming like a grunt, really. Because I remember when, I mean, before EMRs, you know, the RNs, on the floor and at night in the ICU, they were partial decision makers as well. They'd call and say, hey, I already did this and I already did this. I need you to come see the patient or, hey, we've already got this going on. I need you to sign these orders in the morning or, you know, and and I can see now where the bureaucracy and the bloat has really taken away from that, that critical thinking model of some really brilliant people in the healthcare field, because now it's more about clicky boxes than patient care. Yeah. And and I re- I was part of those days where, I mean, I literally, I, we had, had one resident literally for a critically ill 20 bed ICU and then 50, you know, patients and he had to go to surgery. So it was just not physically possible for him to, to do all the things that needed to be done. So as the nurses, I mean, we really took uh, we took care of our residents, uh, crotchety as they were, and, and rightfully so, because they were just miserable human beings for seven years. But we would write, like a, a patient would come in, I would literally write the admission orders in red pink, you know, ink. And then at the end of the day, we would take like 30 charts and just have them sit there and sign everything. And we enjoyed that. And and I, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, you know, I'm not putting any judgment because I know I know the hospital has to protect themselves. Everybody's got to protect themselves. But those were like we owned the patients. We took care of the patients. We felt responsible and ownership for it. And it was it made a huge difference in how we came to work. Yeah. Not having to beg and plead for a Tylenol order. (laughs) Yeah. I mean you know it's one of those things too. Like we would shampoo the the patient's hair. And if you've ever been in a neurocritical care, Mm -hmm. it's disgusting because they've like three, four weeks there and their hair is like a matted image. But I mean, the nurses would literally bring in their own shampoos, shampoo the hair, like it was this whole ordeal. We'd make them smell pretty. And, you know, I get it too. Like some, you know, all the products have to be approved and, and that kind of stuff, but it just changes things. It does. My nurse I currently work with, she's been nursing longer than I've been alive. And we talk a lot about that. And and she had worked all the way up to like uh, DON, actually of two different hospitals. And, you know, now she's my my lead in my office. And just she had some friends comment about, well, don't you feel like you're losing your skills? And she's like, actually, I get to do so much, you know, yeah. working side by side in the family medicine clinic. We, we do a lot in our FQHC. And so, and also she's like, you know, those 12 hour shifts and pulling a double and covering. She's like, I'm done with that. So yeah, they suck. Totally <laughs> suck. But okay, let's get into nurse burnout because you know me, I'm the queen of SAS. I specialize specifically in professional burnout. My experience is from a physician, but I would love to hear it from the nurse perspective because I see it. I see the walking down the hallways looking like a zombie, like snappy short answers that you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Turnover like crazy and all those things. But I would love to hear from your perspective what nurse burnout looks and feels like for you. 
Yeah. Well, you know, and I'll tell you that long about that time that Walmart came in and, and swooped me up, which was wonderful. I was that snappy nurse. Like I would come in and just, I, I would walk into the hospital and my whole personality would change. Like I could be happy as a lark walking. And then as soon as I step into the hospital, it was like, I turned into like nasty Nancy or something. <laughs> it was I call like that the, the dark cloud that descends like as soon as you pull into the parking lot and you're like your alter ego comes out yeah yeah and I actually uh one of the things that happened to me was I got into this huge fight with my attending so I was you know I'm just a really laid back easy person I mean it takes years of of like stuff to pile up before I actually have an outburst so you can you can only imagine you know, for me to do this, because I'm also, I respect authority, and I see the attending as the authority. So for me to blow up and curse out the attending uh, was really out of character, even though this guy was a colossal jerk. And probably just, he's a type of surgeon that would throw phones around and, and throw instruments the, around the, the OR and that kind of stuff. So, so at the, at so the slightly time, dysfunctional, yeah, <laughs> completely <laughs> dysfunctional. And it was a time that the hospitals tolerated it. Like it was okay to throw phones around the unit, but anyway, regardless. Uh, so he came up and, and said something that was outrageously stupid. And I, I just flipped out. I, I just started screaming and yelling at him and telling him he was a, an idiot and this kind of stuff. And I got, I got suspended from the hospital uh, was for three days and had to go to anger management classes, which I thought was ironic because it took three years for me to build up that anger in the first place. But, but it gave me that. You talk about degrees on the wall and stuff. I have four master's degrees. One of them's an MBA, a PhD, my you know my BSN obviously, and then just a slew of certificates behind my name. And I'm sitting at home on suspension from anger management. And I was like, this is not where I want my life to go. Like, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a doctor, you know, of, uh, you know, nursing. I'm like, this is embarrassing. And I'm like, this is not me. This is not what I want. Uh, this is not what I, I like. So I really had to focus, you know, on myself and really ask myself some hard questions of like, what is the problem here? Why are you like such a different person in the hospital? What's going on? And when you really kind of look at things, I didn't recognize it as burnout at the time. And when I think of burnout, I think of just immense frustration that there is no outlet to, right? Like, so I come in every day and it's the same fire to put out. And no matter how many times I give suggestions of like how we can change things, it's either dismissed or not taken seriously or ignored completely. And then you just start like, oh, well, that's just, that's just the way it is here. That just happens. People just die because that's what we do here. You know, and you get that sarcasm and that apathy and it's just, it spirals downhill from there. And that's where a lot of it came from. Yeah, absolutely. I love your description of that because when you really get down to it, the damage is that soul damage that burnout creates when you like, you just no more fucks are given because yeah. you've been so it's either resentment or it, even beyond frustration, like just like you want to burn the whole place down. Because you you haven't been seen or heard or respected in the role that you've been hired to do. And so 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great question too to ask of like, what really is the problem here? It's not the that I yelled at this guy, but there's so much more happening underneath of the surface. Where did you go from there? You said you went to Walmart and you were like doing like new stuff and learning. Were you still a little bit clinical or were you straight admin? And and how did the how'd your worldview shift then? Yeah, no, I had to I, I definitely kept my foot in the door. So I, I switched over to, you know, working one weekend a month in in neurocritical care. And they loved that because uh, they were always happy to have weekend help. And then it, it worked the uh, Walmart. And, and that was fun, but it did turn into a lot of corporate meetings and stuff, which were a total snooze. And I wasn't completely ready for that because I tend to be an adrenaline junkie too. I just want to, <laughs> wherever the action is, I need to be there. So yeah, definitely kept my foot in the door and that helped a little bit. But I mean, shaping the perspective that you know I needed to, what else could I do? was really helped when meeting these other nurses. And I thought, you know, one day I I met this woman, her name was Diana Mason, and she had a very interesting career. And one of the things that she ended up doing was starting a radio channel or something. And I was like, how does, how does that happen? Like, how does anybody start just a radio channel? Like uh, you, you start a radio show. And, And this was so foreign to me, this concept that if I wanted to, I could just start my own radio show that I had to explore it. And so I asked her if I could interview her. I interviewed her. She was my very first podcast without realizing I was starting a podcast, but my very first podcast interviewed guest. And then I was like, well, that's really fascinating. And I wanted to share it with people. So that's what I started doing. And then I started asking other people, well, how did you start this? I mean, CPR business, how do you even do that? Or, you know, how did you start this business or that business? And that's what started my own podcast. And then um, other nurses really appreciated having those different role models just to, you know, what you could do outside of the hospital, because there's so many different facets of nursing, you don't have to stay in the hospital, the system's not working. And that's what I realized for myself is that nothing was actually going to change in my lifespan of working in the hospital, or at least I didn't have the authority or capacity to help institute that change. So I needed to do something else. Yeah, it's really recognizing like, no matter how much I push, scream or punch this wall in front of me, it's still a wall. And I think a lot of people within healthcare, you know, they talk about the exodus. And but I think it's because we've really started to recognize what I can change and what I can control is me. Right. And if enough of us do that, we will be able to push down the wall, we will be able to make those changes. But first, we have to get ourselves healthier, happier. And I think there's something that comes up too when you pull your ostrich head out of the hole of whatever you're in, be it hospital, surgery, outpatient, where you have put on such blinders that you don't even know what's happening in the outside world. And you pop up and you look around and you're like, oh my God, there's people who podcast (laughs) or who run multiple businesses or who work one weekend a month and like, they're okay. Their, their kids aren't eating cat food and like, they actually like love their life and can garden and go on hikes and they take vacation. Like who does that? I didn't go on vacation for like a year and a half at one point because I was so addicted to it. One of the ways I inflated myself was to think that I was so essential that I couldn't go on vacation. And that was one of the things that was where I got deflated when I got sent home for anger management. I was gone for three days and I came back thinking the whole unit would have fallen apart by then. And 
people didn't even notice. They didn't even say, hey, where were you? Or, you know, everything was a disaster yesterday. And it was a total deflation like of my ego (laughs) and it was it was a good one (laughs) and I think that is I want to pull that point out because that is so important when I talk to people about like that I can't take vacation and I'm like no you're not willing to take vacation because the sun will still rise and like you are giving people the ability to exercise their capacity to take care of shit when you aren't there to put out the fires and that's important I mean that's part of healthy team dynamics is to flex and to change when everybody isn't there. Because my favorite saying is no one's coming to save you. Like (laughs) no one's going to turn in the PTO slips for you to take vacation or, or say, Oh my God, you're rolling over 200 hours. Like, no, no one's going to do that. So you have to do it for yourself. And I think that's a good example. I did that too. I mean, there was years that I went and I wish I could get all of those PTO hours back that I didn't use, but it was like, no, I can't leave the patients or, you know, it'll be such a mess when I come back, yada, 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 all the excuses. And it's like, no, no one goes to their deathbed saying, I wish I would have taken less vacation. Right. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. And it, it, you know, talking about as well, like, you know, uh, the the system that you can or cannot change for that matter. I I work with uh, nurses in in leadership and I have uh, several nurses that are nurse managers or assistant nurse managers. And that is like a thankless job if there were any on the earth that's so thankless because they get it from all ends. They get it from families and nurses and, you know, doctors and allied health and, and whoever else. Admin, um, all admin, of it. All of it. Uh, the C-suite comes down and, and rains on them. But anyway, they also, what I didn't know about nurse managers was that if enough people call out sick and they can't get somebody to replace them, they come in and work that shift. And I was like, well, you can't do that. You can't be the manager and come in and fill night shifts at, you know, get called in at 11 o'clock at night to fill a shift. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And they're like, well, we do. And I'm like, well, you need to stop. And they said, well, there's nobody else there. I'm like, but the system has to fail. We can't keep enabling the system the way it's functioning right now. Like either you have to get paid buku bucks, which you're not, or you let it, you know, we have to let it fail at some level. Yeah, like, just it, burn the fucking thing down. I think yes. that, I, and I, I've said that as well, like to doctors and practices, it's like, you know what, sometimes the only way people learn is through pain. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I think, uh, you know, the hospital system right now is going through some serious pain, especially after COVID with the, you know, the staffing agencies making a crap ton of money uh, and the nurses that were doing that as well. I feel like that was a pain point the hospital has to feel because that is probably, you know, what they should be paying the regular nurses and that money's not there. Like it's not, you know, but it, it's something that they have to feel and experience to appreciate what they have because the nurses will be incredibly loyal. Uh, you just have to throw them some respect and validation and, <laughs> you know, and pay them they're what they're worth, pay them yeah. what they're worth. They're not, no, exactly. They're not asking. They're asking for a three to $5 raise. You know, and I love that through COVID, hospitals got it stuck to them because they're all about the bottom line. They're all about the money. And I understand we need to be good stewards, but also, you know, your most important resource that you have is your human capital. And what Mm -hmm. that showed them with be it travel nurses or locum doctors coming in is like, Hmm, would have saved a lot of money if you would have just 
given ex doctor her one day off during the week and she hadn't left <laughs> or, <laughs> or nurse Susie who said, my mother's dying and I'm not going to be able to come in and you bullied her. And so she turned in her resignation. You right. know what I mean? Like I see right. all sorts of cost savings. If, if, organizations were healthy enough to recognize that life happens and that when you see people and you validate their experience, they will have no reason to leave you. And then they will talk and say, you know, when this was happening in my life, this is how my employer, this is how my organization supported me rather than being like, you do this or, or else. Right. And, and it's, it's a huge point because I, I'll tell you too, because the place that I worked for 20 years, that wasn't even the highest paying. Actually, they paid below the 50th percentile. It was really crappy pay. And down the street is the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania. They paid at the 80th percentile. Uh, it was so much more, like I'm talking like $10 an hour more money, uh, which is a lot uh, at that level. And, you know, it, it was one of those things where we just never wanted to leave our unit. We had this culture in our unit where we worked with each other. We solved our own problems. We managed ourselves. We managed the patients. We took care of everything. We were very proud of that. And people that did leave, they were kind of lured away by the money. They came right back. Like within three months, we we're like, oh, I didn't even know you, you quit and came back already. Look at that. <laughs> you know, but, but it was because of that culture. It was, we didn't stay there for the money. There was clearly better places to get more money. We stayed there because we were a family. And that was like, I mean, it was more of a family to me than my family growing up was a family. Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. one of the reasons I felt so indispensable. Like I had to be there, but I loved that family so much. Yeah, because you you were recognized for what you're doing. You were in the middle of your purpose for caring for those patients. You felt supported, like people had your back. And it was safe, psychologically, likely. I mean, there's always the dumpster fires because that's what we do in healthcare. Patients don't always follow the books. But you also knew, like, but it would be okay. No matter what comes down the pipeline or who they put in room five, we're going to be all right type of thing. And I speak a lot about this with physician retainment is like a lot of doctors want to go to those kind of places and will take, uh, you know, not the huge salaries or the benefit packages, knowing that they can go home at night and sleep. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. It is huge. It's so huge. So I'm with you, lady. Let's change the fucking healthcare system. <laughs> Let's do it. Tell us a little bit about the name of your podcast. And you mentioned that you work with um, nurses, nurse leaders. Talk a little bit more about that because we do have physicians here, but I do have other allied health that listen. Yeah. Uh, so my podcast name is very uncreatively named the Nursepreneurs Podcast. And the premise, like I said, was just to bring on nurses that were that are working in in business and doing something interesting, or just you know talking through the challenges because that is one of the fears that everybody has getting started. Well, I don't know how to run a business. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. And honestly, none of us did when we first got started. It's obviously not something that you learn in nursing or medical no, school. None of us learned this. <laughs> 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 but I always say, you know, courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. And, you know, that's, that's what we encourage the nurses to kind of just look at what it is that they want. And that ironically is one of the hardest things 
to define at the get-go because the, the people jump from, oh, med spa, that sounds great. IV hydrate, that sounds great. This sounds great. That sounds great. I want to do it all. And actually, when I'm doing my podcast, I'm doing the same thing. I'm like, oh, I should do that business. And, you know, it, it's ridiculous. But, you know, it really comes down to what is it that you want? What is the lifestyle that you what would make you happy? Uh, and we work through all that kind of stuff. And it, they're, they're actually pretty hard questions to answer. You know, a lot of times I'll get, you know, I want more money. And I'm like, well, it's not really a, that's not really a goal. I'm, I'm like, I could give you a dollar and you'd have more money, but it's not going to make you happy. So like, let's talk through like what that is and what that's going to look like. And a lot of them really have spent the last 20, 30 years uh, trying to push changes for their patients, especially like I have one nurse who works with breast cancer patients. And she noticed that, you know, after treatment is done and they're in remission, they just kind of like, you know, everything's pulled away from them, right? And they're just left there. And the biggest fear is obviously going back into, you know, a recurrence. But there's, there was nothing really for them at that precipice of, you know, you congratulations, you're cancer free, you're in remission. Um, and what if it happens again? And how do I stop it? So she pulled together a program to help, you know, empower them with uh, stuff that they can do. They want to do stuff for themselves. They want to detoxify. They want to live healthy. They want to, you know, create goals and stuff like that. So that was the, the type of business that she went into. And that doesn't really fall into the cancer center. It doesn't fall into the hospital. It doesn't fall into outpatient. Just it's like no man's land. And that's that was the population she wanted to help. Yeah. Survivorship is huge because, yeah, like, how do you, how do you stay in this space? Like I talk about recovery from burnout and it, it has no endpoint. Recovery has no endpoint. Survivorship has no endpoint. It just, and wrapping your head around that. My, my one last question before we wrap all this up is how as doctor partners, can we help and advocate for you and the people that you serve? Yeah, no, I mean, that the, the doctor nurse relationship is, is, I mean, my some of my best friends are, are doctors and, you know, and obviously nurses as well. And it, it is very family oriented. Uh, and I, I think just that mutual respect of what we do, uh, although nursing has a hard time explaining sometimes what it is that they do. But, you know, just, it's absolutely we, we are in it together. We have pretty much the same goals for helping the, the patients and, you know, furthering our careers uh, together. And I, I think it's a really unique partnership that's out there. And we see it in business now. We work with a lot of medical directors. And it's, you know, it's great to stick together because we have been through so much together. <laughs> and we're dealing with the same kind of like evil force, if you will, <laughs> in the hospital medicine uh, kind of like paradigm. But I think banding together is is really our biggest hope for uh, pushing agendas and, and making everything safe and, and great for the for the patients. I agree. I love that, you know, forming a family work environment, which would be like a, a healthy workplace rather than a toxic workplace. Mutual respect, I think, is huge. And then community, because we yeah. know burnout is so isolating. And that's when the depression and all the other stuff starts to set in. And the antidote then is connection and community. So I love that. Well, Katie Harris, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been absolutely wonderful to sit down and pick your brain and and see how our stories are parallel in our different roles. 
the badass in me totally honors the badass in you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. friend. So my word of the year for 2023 is going to be slacking for two reasons. One, I am really going to pull back the throttle in 2023 and see what life is like when I just do enough. Not extra, not overboard, not overworking, burning myself out, burning candle at both ends. Slacking. Something I don't think I've really ever done my entire life. I'm excited about it, but I'm also worried, of course, (laughs) the classic OCD overworker, how this is going to be. The other reason that slack is going to be my word in 2023 is that's where I'm going to hang out. You're not going to see me in a lot of new places. I'm just going to be waiting for you in my DMs on slack. Yeah, I'll probably occasionally post on Instagram and still send out a few emails but you're going to see a change in Burnt Out to Badass and Dr. Me First. You're going to just see me waiting willingly and quietly in the corner for those who are ready for help. No more blasting lots of advertisements and marketing and pushing people. When you're ready, you'll come and we're going to see how it goes. So there you go. That's my word for the year. How about you? Have you picked a word? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Better yet, send me a DM in Slack. Or maybe you want to join me and let's make theorists the year of slacking. All right, friend. Remember, if work is your drug, rest is your recovery. Come over and hang out with Slack and me and start slacking off a little bit in life. Slack.